Episode of the Fantasy Roundtable Podcast brought to you by the Pulse Podcasting Network and me, your host, Matt Bruning. You can hit me up at SportsFanaticMB on Twitter. Have an awesome episode ahead for you guys today. Uh, we've got Mr. Dennis Bennett joining us as always to talk about some free agency with a special guest that I am excited to announce here in just a minute after I let you guys know who this episode is brought to you by. Have you been searching for the best ticket deals around? Well, look no further. With TixFlix, the price you see is the price you pay. And TixFlix just happens to have over $6 billion in ticket inventory just waiting for you. They absolutely mean it when they say every ticket, every venue, everywhere. And you can save even more with promo code PULSE in all caps to save you 5% off your total purchase. Just go to TixFlix.com and click the search bar. Search events based on your geographic location. Pick the show you want. And BAM! It's showtime. Sporting events, Broadway shows, concerts, and more with TixFlix.com. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for the email newsletter so you can stay up to date on the latest news and savings with TixFlix. That's TixFlix.com. T-I-X-D-L-I-T-Z.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Remember, guys, if you're wanting to do anything sports-wise or just anything, any concerts, uh, Comic-Con, stuff like that, use our promo code PULSE, capital P-U-L-S-E. You'll get 5% off all of your tickets. We'd really appreciate it if you guys did that. And again, check out the site because it is awesome. And I'm not going to delay this any longer. Let's go ahead and bring Dennis and our special guest on here so we can talk about some free agents. And as I was just talking about in our intro, we've got Mr. Dennis Bennett with us, as always, talking about a little bit of free agency. What's going on, Dennis? You know, I'm having a fantastic Saturday morning, looking forward to our very esteemed guest, and going to ride some coattails is what I'm going to do. Yeah, I I plan on doing the same. Our special guest here today is John Lobb from the Gridiron Scholar. John, what is going on, man? Hey, man, it's NFL draft season, free agent week. I love this time of the year. And rarely does anyone use the word esteemed as an adjective when they're describing me. So thank you very much. Right on. We're just glad to have you on. Would you mind telling us, our listeners, a little bit about yourself? Sure, absolutely. Um, I guess I've been playing fantasy football for 31 years. I started in grad school with um, 10 buddies. We still actually have that league active today with seven of the original owners. So I got lucky in 1993. I played a fantasy football contest against 15,000 other people. It was a salary cap game where you got to make four starting lineup trades each week, but you had to keep your lineup under salary cap. I won and beat everyone and won $10,000 that year. Um, I started up my own newsletter for three years, and um, I was before really the internet, so I had to send it out by mail and fax, and then I got a a great opportunity, so I went to work for a great gentleman at at a good young company. It was a startup company, 
But at that time, I got, um, you know, lucky Emil Cadillac asked me to join him doing weekly rankings, sleepers, and long shots on footballdiehards.com. That was about 21 years ago. And I've been with Football Diehards ever since. Six years ago, I decided to start doing um, more writing for them. So I started my NFL um, draft profile and analysis for them it, with a fantasy slant, looking at all the rookies coming in. Um, I've done two podcasts in the last four years, DFS Dudes and CFF on campus. I also write a lot of college fantasy football stuff, and I'm a full-time history teacher. That is awesome, man. That is awesome. I, I, I can't even begin to throw my Maritani up there anywhere near you, man. That That is a, extremely awesome. Oh, it's just a long life. That's all. Trust me. <laughs> no, I, I really like, uh, you know, just speaking on the fantasy football side of things, I really love the fact that you're in, you've are in. you been in a dynasty league that long, man, or in, in a fantasy league that long. My longest running league is about seven years now, and, and the friendships and everything I've made through that league has just been awesome. Uh, you know, that that's one of my favorite things about all this stuff. Yeah, it's amazing. I actually, um, the two guys who I lived with, the two guys, so there was three of us who lived together and started the league, and then some someone I lived with in college, one of my great buddies, he joined the league. So this is really the only time we're, we're all married with children. Some of us have kids going to college and everything. And we still have a live draft every year for 30 years. It'll be our 31st year in August. It is one of the best days every year of, of my life. And it's just a pleasure to be able to touch base with old friends that, you know, life changes you. Right. You move on. You have so many things with jobs and family and wife and kids. But it's still that one time a year where I get to see great friends. Yeah, that's, that's the best part about a live draft right there. I mean, uh, it, it's it's the most fun. Do you mind? Uh, it, it's a, I'm assuming it's a dynasty league, right? You might have said that. I, I, I Actually, not. it's a keeper league. Okay. So it's, you know, um, back when I was young, there was no such – we never heard of dynasty leagues. I do play in dynasty leagues, but that particular league is a um, keeper. And you know what? We have a lot of people who are in it just for fun. They They're not like – myself who's hard hardcore so we pretty much have agreed we don't change too many rules we keep the shell of the league together and you know what to me that league is more about friends and about history and i do all my funky stuff on the internet with new people and everything like that does that make sense yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, uh, my, my longest running one, this might make actually a little bit more sense to you. I have a hard time explaining it to other people. Uh, my <laughs> longest running one, uh, with, that's how we started out because none of us had really ever played a dynasty before. So we started out with like you keep two players this year and then we slowly increased it up so not anybody could, uh, you know, people who were really into fantasy because we have the same thing. We have a couple guys who just do it for fun. They're not as hardcore into it as some of the others in the league. Uh, so we increased it slowly up, so no team really got really good They by because of them being so good at fantasy, and now it's gotten to a point where we're at like 12 keepers. We have a taxi squad, so it's slowly kind of built into a, an interesting league over the years. But yeah, when we started out, it was just a, almost like your standard redraft, and then we started adding keepers, so I, I completely understand. Yeah, and you know, I, I always, these friendships are more important than any actual you know, debate over a league rule yeah. or, or expansion. And I know some people are like, oh, you got to change the rules. 
In any other league, I'm all for it. Like I had another league, which I've been with 15 years, and we just two years ago went to a two-quarterback league, two tight ends. So that was fun, but that's a different league with a little bit more hardcore. So I'm willing to change when the dynamics of the league itself are willing to at least have discussions. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. We're the same way. We we rarely change votes and or change votes, change rules in there. We always do it by vote. It's got to be like ninety percent for us to do anything. We just kind of see if anybody's will, willing or interested to try something new. But if not, it's all good keeping it the same. Yes. All right, well, let's talk about some free agency. We obviously had a lot of moves go down. Again, I, I just want to apologize. I know everybody, uh, one of my, all my listeners know I had some family stuff going on this past week, so I feel like we're a little late to the ball, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it's given all of us a little bit longer to kind of digest and look at this stuff, and that is why we brought John on. As uh, Dennis said, he's uh, an esteemed member of the uh, fantasy football community, so we're excited to have him here to talk about all of this. And we're going to start with... Uh, I mean, it's not the biggest trade in my opinion, but a lot of people thought it was one of the bigger trades that happened this past week, and that is Antonio Brown going to the Oakland Raiders. Steelers just got back a third and a fifth round pick and are paying $21 million of his salary. In my opinion, Oakland made out like bandits. They are paying him $30 million now in guaranteed money, which I would imagine was the biggest reason why Antonio Brown wanted to get moved. It seems like it was, in the end, all about the money. What is your fantasy take on this? Do you think that this is going to hurt him in the long run as being, we've seen him be a top three, at I would say at worst top five uh, wide receiver here for fantasy over at least the past five or six years. How far do you think this drops him going to Oakland? So there's no way he's going to be able to reproduce the numbers that he did in Pittsburgh. One is age is a little creeping up. He's 30 years old. So, you know, it's not like he's over the hill or anything, but he is creeping up with a long, long career. And look it, no matter what, and, you know, I'm trying to digest this Ben Roethlisberger, the chatter about him and teammates and all of that. But at the end of the day, from a fantasy perspective, Ben Roethlisberger fed Antonio Brown on a weekly basis. In my opinion, he is not going to be peppered with that many targets. I mean, you look at this. Since 2013, 167, 181, 193. 154, 163, 168. Just incredible amount of targets and well over 100 receptions each year. I expect a downtick playing in Oakland. One is because Derek Carr is clearly not Ben Roethlisberger. I think there's still hope, but I'm not convinced that Oakland brings back Derek Carr. They have, I believe, the number four pick in the draft. They could clearly use draft capital that they have later in the first round. Maybe they want to change the quarterback position. So I think it's only about 50-50 that Derek Carr even comes back. So if you end up with the rookie at the quarterback position, I obviously think while he might be more efficient, he's not going to pepper Antonio Brown with over 150 targets. So I think his value falls a little bit. I think it's a great move by the Raiders. To me, it's a no-brainer. They paid practically nothing. I mean, a third and a fifth-round pick, please, for one of the greatest wide receivers in the history of the game, if not the greatest. 
You know, I think he's got at least three very productive seasons remaining in Oakland. But from a fantasy perspective, he probably falls to me looking at my early rankings five or six. He's no longer that top wide receiver on the board. Yeah, and looking at the targets last year, uh, or not targets, pass attempts, Pittsburgh led the league with 689 pass attempts. And so it's pretty easy to take your stud wide receiver and give him 170 targets. The Raiders came in at uh, 556, so almost five <laughs> targets left, or less than uh, the Steelers. And they weren't quite as efficient uh, w- with uh, their passing game. So, there has to be some regression. Uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I never thought really about the Raiders going the rookie route, but a, as I sat here and listened to you, it occurred to me that, uh, you know, I wonder if David Carr goes to Miami. There's part of me that feels like they're doing the Browns kind of clear the decks, suck for a year or two. Uh, but there's, if, if the Raiders want to move Carr uh, at a really affordable price and go the rookie route, uh, Miami's really the only place left for him to go. So that could definitely be an option. Cert- I, I, I wouldn't expect them to cut Carr outright. No, I don't think they will cut Carr outright. I think they'll either bring in competition, but I tend to think they will look to trade him. I just can't picture John Gruden after the season and the inefficiency they had in the passing game. I would be shocked if they bring Carr back. Now, hey, maybe they're higher on Carr than what than what I read, the tea leaves, or what I saw on film. So maybe there's obviously other factors involved. Maybe if they get a better running game, they've definitely got them more weapons. But I tend to think Gruden is going to want to bring in his guy because he already gave Carr an entire season to prove. To me, this is one of the most fascinating franchises to watch from a roster building standpoint right now. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with the, the Gruden's looking for his guys. He wants some old school grinders. Yeah. I, I think he'll embrace the, the new school methodology, but he wants an old, he wants old school grinders to sort of set the pace down there. I think Antonio Brown is an old school grinder. Um, you know, for all of the things that have gone on this past off season, you you never heard anything negative about his work ethic. He was definitely a first in, lats out, hard working guy all throughout and during the season as well as the off season. And Gruden has done very well with veteran wide receivers. If you go back to guys like Keenan McCardle in Tampa Bay, he brought in Jerry Rice in Oakland. He he reinvigorated Tim Brown's career. Gruden demands intelligent veteran wide receivers who make the right read on the fly. And Antonio Brown is a very smart, experienced receiver. He will be successful. He just will not have that volume that he did in Pittsburgh. Sticking with the Oakland Raiders, what about Tyrell Williams going there as well? He signs that four-year deal for $44.3 million. Uh, Obviously looks to be the field stretcher playing opposite of Antonio Brown. Do you guys have any thoughts on him? I do. I think this is a very nice move for Oakland. I'm not a big Tyrell Williams fan, but if you kind of look at it in his totality, he's been a nice player. 
And if I'm the Oakland Raiders and I say, look, it, they clearly need help on defense. So what are they saying here? They're saying, let's take our two veteran wide receivers. I have my superstar stud. Now I have a receiver who can attack the defense vertically in Tyrell Williams. And if you look in his very good 2016 season, he had 119 targets. He wasn't overly productive with 69 receptions. But in the last two years, his target share has fallen off tremendously. Only 69 and 65. So I expect an uptick. Maybe he receives 85 targets in Oakland. He has been healthy. He has played in 16 games each of the last three seasons. And this allows Oakland. They don't have to invest a draft pick. In the wide receiver position, they obviously got rid of Khalil Mack. I expect them to go heavy on the defensive side and probably acquire a running back in the second round. So I think what this does is it gives him roster flexibility, even though he might not be a great receiver. He does fulfill a role of attacking the defense deep down the field. So what are your thoughts on it? them rolling this year with the triumvirate of uh, Jalen Richard, DeAndre Washington, and my personal favorite, Chris Warren in the backfield. So Richard and um, Washington, I'm sorry, Washington, right? I always, DeAndre Washington? Yeah. yeah. I think they're at best third down backs who are volume pass catchers. I don't think they're difference makers. I do not believe both of them will be on the roster this year. Now, I've read a lot about Chris um, Warren. Obviously, the coaching staff is high on him in the offseason. I've went back. I've watched some film on him. I think he's an interesting prospect. Do I believe that he is the answer? I do not. But what we're going to do is we're going to find out what the Raiders really believe about Chris um, Warren in the draft, if they acquire a running back in the second or third round, that tells me that they're not overly confident in Warren. If they bypass the running back position and they go into training camp with Warren, Richard, and Washington, then I will believe all of the chatter about Warren. But the draft is going to tell us everything about what the Oakland Raiders really believe about Warren. Right now, it's just chatter, but the draft, the draft will prove everything. Well, sticking with the Oakland Raiders, I got a question for, for both of you really quick. We obviously just talked about Tyrell Williams now playing on the other side of Antonio Brown. A guy they drafted just last year, uh, not, not, I wouldn't say a lot of people were high, but a lot of people thought he might end up becoming a decent wide receiver was Marcel Aitman. Do you think Tyrell Williams kind of kills his value altogether? I do for the most part. I think they're kind of very similar players. I like Aitman coming out of Oklahoma State. I think, I believe I had him in my top 12. I would have to go back. He was right around there. I ranked him pre-draft like 11 to 14. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. They do seem to be redundant pieces. And the only thing I would say is Oakland has seen Aitman for an entire season. So the fact that they brought in Tyrell Williams tells me a little bit that they have some concern with Aitman being able to produce right away. 
Obviously, you can never have enough competition in a training camp. So maybe this pushes Aitman and, you know, players get injured all the time. He's a guy I'm looking out for, but he's not a guy I'm going to draft or anything like that right now. Yeah, Aitman is somebody I've had at the back end of my roster for a year now on a couple different teams. I think the biggest challenge and probably the biggest difference for between Aitman and Williams is, is just pure speed. Aitman isn't necessarily known as a, a burner, whereas Williams has a reputation for being pretty fast. I think Williams ran a 4.48 at the combine versus Aitman's 4.61. And so that might be really what, what separates the two. Aitman, I expect to be more of a red zone guy and an intermediate guy versus Williams, who is the, the true field stretcher. They're similarly sized, so they're, that kind of matches in the profile. But the speed is really what separates Williams from Aitman. Yeah, and we've seen Williams do it at the NFL level. And coaches are conservative by nature, I believe. And they feel more confident with someone who's actually done it already. And we know Williams can be productive. So I think that's another factor. All right, one last question on the Oakland Raiders before we get off of them, because they've, they've had a very <laughs> interesting offseason, obviously. Uh, John just touched on the running backs thing. Uh, obviously, do, Dennis, do you think that Chris Warren can be the guy? And then I have a draft question for you guys on the running backs as well after that. I I do. I, I, I think that uh, Warren is a little bit reminiscent of Mike Allstott. He, he just, he's got the power. He doesn't quite have the speed and agility that Allstott had, but I, I, I could see Gruden trying to, fit him in that role. But I agree with John on the draft really being the tell for the the Raiders when it comes to their running game. If they grab somebody in that second or third round, then we're we're likely to end up with a uh, Rashad Penny, Chris Carson kind of uh, mixture where you've got this really late round guy, free agent type, and this high draft capital guy that are going to have to fight it out. And in those situations, generally the high draft capital guy gets the edge. All right. Well, with uh, obviously a lot of these mock drafts and everything, you're looking at Josh Jacobs as being the guy who's taken off the board. So if we're guessing that the Oakland Raiders are going to try and take a running back in the second or third round, let's just assume that he's gone. What running back would you guys take to be the workhorse in this backfield? Well, my first one, there's two, and I think one will fall to the second round. Either David Montgomery, Iowa State, or Miles Sanders of Penn State. I think either of those two players would work really well in the Oakland backfield. I think both of them are power backs. You know, not as powerful as Josh Jacobs, but that they can get 20 carries a game and be your bell cow running back. Both of them run well between the tackles and are good around the goal line. So I think if either of those two running backs drop to the second round and the Raiders, I believe, have the fourth pick of the second round, to me, that will tell us everything. If they bypass those two running backs, then it's kind of a crapshoot. Do they love a player in the third round? And that really would depend on what the scouting department and what the coaching staff decides. At that point, you're looking at a bunch of players who could be interested in the third round. All right, so let's talk about the best trade and the most important trade that went down over this past week. Uh, made me, um, 
just I, I can't even begin to describe how excited I am being a Browns fan. And before I actually get to that, because I'm an idiot, I didn't even get a chance to ask you, John, what is your favorite NFL team? Do you have one? Oh, I do. Um, the Denver Broncos. I was in fifth or sixth grade. Jeez, I'm so old now. In 1977. <laughs> An and orange I re- crush guy, huh? <laughs> and what, yes, I love the Orange Crush. Oh, my God. So I remember they. that was really – I started watching in 76. But, you know, when you're kind of that age, you're just watching with your dad. You're not really digesting everything. And 77 is the first year where I can really remember watching games and kind of I remember what I saw. And my sixth grade teacher always had a current events board. And, you know, we took turns as students putting up newspaper articles. And she had world news, Connecticut news, and sports. And I remember she put up the Super Bowl week, you know, the Super Bowl orange crush doomsday defense. And she had people put on who they wanted, Dallas or Denver. And I was the only kid in the class who wanted Denver to win the Super Bowl. Obviously, you know, we got destroyed in it. But I've always been a a Denver fan ever since. You know, I loved Lyle Alzado. I loved Randy Gratishar. You know, Reuben Carter, Tom Tom Jackson, Louis Wright, uh, Craig Morton, Haven Moses. I'll never forget that. Just kind of that first team you fall in love with as a kid is really, really special. And then all of a sudden, Denver, you know, about six years later, got John Elway. And forget it. I was hooked for the rest of my life. I hear you, man. Uh, As a... Everybody here knows Dennis, a big Detroit Lions fan, also likes the Cleveland Browns, and I've been a Browns fan all my life. So the way you felt when you guys got John Elway is the way I'm feeling right now when we got Baker Mayfield last year. And it's been a high. I know the feeling. It has been a high ever since then, and it got even better, obviously, with this Odell Beckham trade that went down here just a couple days ago with the Browns giving up their 17th overall pick, the third round pick, which is 95th overall, and Jabril Peppers to get Odell Beckham Jr., the biggest question is, just jumping right back in there with Baker Mayfield, do you think this jumps Baker Mayfield up your quarterback, or not do you think, does it jump Baker Mayfield up your quarterback ranks this season and moving forward? Oh, absolutely. He's now in my top eight. The amount of weapons that he has around him is really silly in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm a big believer in the simpatico of the talent around the quarterback. While we often, obviously you need a talented quarterback, don't get me wrong, but you can't put chop liver around the quarterback, especially young quarterbacks. Let's start with Nick Chubb in the running game. That is going to provide Baker Mayfield so many opportunities to succeed because Nick Chubb can get you the first down. I think we overlooked that. John Elway never won the Super Bowl till he got Terrell Davis. Why did that occur? Terrell Davis consistently converted on third and three, third and two first downs, which gave Elway and the offense more opportunities to win football games, a.k.a. score fantasy points. Nick Chubb does that. Now you are talking about just an amazing set of receivers. Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham. You are talking about a perfect simpatico of talent 
Odell Beckham it might be the best crossing pattern, quick twitch wide receiver that I have seen in my lifetime. But the amazing thing about Odell, he can attack the secondary deep. You must have a safety playing in the deep zone every play. And you know Baker comes from that offense at Oklahoma. He buys time. You know that Odell and Baker are going to have a code. They see a safety cheat up. They're going to go off script. Odell Beckham and Baker are going to have an automatic read. If you see the safety sneak up two steps, Odell, you go deep. Do a double move. I don't give a crap what the play is. You go deep. Then you have this amazing Jarvis Landry, who's going to attack the middle of the defense all the time long. And we forget how good and the upside David Njoku is as a tight end. He is easily in my top eight right now. He's going to have a monster season. Yeah, you know, Nick Chubb is that guy. He's going to get you that first down on third and one or third and 31. I mean, some of those runs <laughs> out of there. Yeah, he, he, he really surprised me with his ability to get to the next level. Um, I, I thought he, he might be a little bit more of a grinder, but you know, he's a, a big, powerful back and can do a lot of things. And surprisingly, uh, I, I think a lot of people underrated and still underrate Chubb's ability to catch the ball. Oh, so, absolutely. You know, I think the loser in this whole thing is Njoku. He's, he, to me, becomes a lot more touchdown dependent just because they have so many other weapons now. With Jarvis and Odell, you're probably looking at 300 targets taken up right there. So that that's going to limit the opportunity for uh, other pass catchers in that offense. Because their running game is going to be so strong, they're going to be able to short. They're not. They're not going to pass seven hundred times. They're going to throw the ball a lot, but they're they're going to run the ball a lot because they're going to be efficient. Uh, you know, they've they've got a good offensive line, so they'll be able to run the ball. And the defense, you know, with a couple uh, new couple tweaks with Steve Wilkes coming in, I expect the defense to improve statistically, which is going to uh, put the Browns in, in good position so that they're not having to play catch-up. The Browns, th this is going to be, uh, from a Detroit Lions perspective, i got to be <laughs> very jealous. You know, I used you, to tell you, people all the time, I grew up a Lions fan and I adopted the Browns when I moved to Ohio, so I know losing, but I don't think I'm going to be able to say that anymore. Hey, the Lions dream of doing what the Browns did, you know? But, hey, I remember Billy Sims and I remember Barry Sanders, even though those teams weren't very good. Let me tell you, it was a pleasure to watch those two men play running back. It certainly was. Yeah, like I said, I can't, I can't even wait for it. I need 2019 to be here tomorrow just so I can see how this ah! is going to turn out because <laughs> the last time I remember the Browns doing anything good was with Derek Anderson and, I mean, Braylon Edwards, Josh Gordon. And uh, I, don't, I can't even remember the last time they made the playoffs was 92. 
And back when we had Kelly Holcomb, Dennis Northcutt, I mean, it's yeah, it's been a long time since I've been able to enjoy winning football in Cleveland, so I cannot wait. And instead of just asking you guys where you have Odell ranked, I kind of want to get an idea based on some of your rankings. I know, John, you said you were talking about yours with Antonio Brown earlier, so just looking at some of these guys right here, obviously uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams are right there up at the top of the tier. Uh, I would assume you guys would still take both of those gentlemen over Odell, or would Odell go above that? No, both of them are over Odell. Yeah, same here. Okay, then what about Tyreek Hill? Minus the news we found out yesterday. Oh, the, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, wow. Um, if I could take out the news yesterday, yes, he would be over those. But I, I, I wonder about that now. Yeah. But that's a whole different story. Yeah. I, I probably would take Odell over Tyreek. I've never uh, – I, I just – Tyreek – is as good as he's looked the last couple of years is just a little too gadgety for me. I don't know. I, I just, I'm not bought into him. So I'd, I'd take Odell over Tyreek. What about can't guard Mike, Mike Thomas? Oh, I love Mike Thomas with Drew Brees. I got to take Mike Thomas. over. and there's just no other receiver who is in Mike Thomas's class in new Orleans. So he's, I, I mean, you would expect over 150 targets easy. Right. I don't know if taking Thomas is homerism or not for me. Uh, you know, being, being here in Columbus, sometimes I get a little clouded. No, uh, I no. I would. I would probably. You know, this is the year where I would start to consider taking Odell over Mike Thomas. Yeah, I mean, me being a Buckeye fan as well, I would still take Thomas over Odell, though, just based on, on what John said. With Drew Brees, as, as much as I love Baker, and it would, in honest, in honesty, break my heart if I had to take him over Odell, I would, I would still, at least right now, take him over Odell. Uh, the last two guys that I think even have a chance, obviously, Julio Jones, would you take uh, Odell over Julio? That's a good question. I, I would say this. At this point, no, but I have a lot of research. I'm still working on draft prospects. Um, and when I would finalize my rankings in about July, I, I'm going to have to look closely. I would say they're right back to back, like Julio Odell, Antonio Brown. Okay. I've got to look more closely at projections. Nick Chubb is the factor. How many carries and touches is Nick Chubb going to garner? And that's something I really have to flush out over the next, you know, couple months. Now, I, I would take Odell over Julio. Okay. You know, Chubb's going to get more touches, I think, than anybody in Atlanta. But I think it's going to work to open up opportunities for Odell. O Odell is, you know, you don't. There, there. Very rare is the is that the you get the five foot ten red zone threat. You know, you have an Antonio Brown. You have that with Odell. I think Odell's going to have. You know, he's going to lead the team in targets, and he's going to lead the team in red zone opportunities. I think. All right, well, then the last question on the Browns before we move on. I was going to ask about Brown, but it looks like both of you guys have them both right there. So with Nick Chubb obviously getting all that stuff, we did see the Kareem Hunt news come out yesterday as well, that he's serving an eight-game suspension. Obviously, for fantasy owners, whether it's going to be redraft or dynasty, that's really going to hurt you right coming up almost toward the, the fantasy playoffs here with Kareem Hunt coming back and probably getting in the swing of things, I'd imagine. It seems like they're not going to fight it at all, so he's going to take the full eight-game suspension. So you're looking at him probably not coming back onto the field So I would guess week 10, maybe week 11 at the latest. 
So that's right around your fantasy football playoff times. Does that worry you at all? We'll just stick redraft because Dynasty, you're not getting rid of Nick Chubb. He, in my opinion, is going to be somewhere close to top five moving forward Dynasty-wise. So redraft-wise, does that scare you guys away from Nick Chubb this year? Um, It doesn't really for myself because I will just spend a late-round pick on Kareem Hunt. And by the time he gets on the field week, let's say he gets on week 10, um, there is going to be so much volatility at the running back position. All of us, uh, all of those of us who love this game, know that um, the running back is such a turnover position. I want a dynasty championship with Elijah McGuire and Damian <laughs> Williams in my starting yeah. running back. So I, I, I really, if I get the seven and zero with Nick Chubb, I'll deal with it. And as long as I have Kareem Hunt as insurance. I'm I'm very comfortable taking Nick Chubb at the end of the first round, early second round in redrafts this year. I think as a dynasty manager, you just got to play the cards you're dealt. And if Chubb is there, you know you're going to get a lot of production out of him. And even when Hunt comes back, Chubb is still going to be the guy unless injuries pop up. I get the signing of Hunt, but it's a couple. It's going to be another year before his value is fully rehabilitated, I think, across the NFL. I don't think he's going to impact that much unless Chubb gets dinged up. I think Dorsey is going to, you know, ride the horses that brought him there, and Chubb is going to be one of those. Freddie is going to call the plays like he calls them. He's going to run the show, and if that means Chubb, you know, unless Chubb comes out next year and is rushing for, you know, 3.8 yards a carry or something, you know, then I could see them giving Hunt a shot. But for the most part, I would I would agree that if you can grab Hunt late, grab him as an insurance policy, but don't let that deter you from taking Nick Chubb because Chubb's going to be a stud. Okay, yeah, I agree with both of you. I just wanted to check. I know a lot of people, when that news came out, I was kind of – monitoring Twitter and seeing a lot of people kind of freaking out about it, saying that that's going to kill them for the fantasy football playoffs with the hunt coming back. And everybody think everybody seems to think it's going to be a 50, 50 split between those two. when he comes back, I've never thought that, uh, uh, John, I, I know, uh, me and Dennis have obviously talked about multiple times. We're both in the belief that this was just a great business move by the Cleveland Browns. We both think that by next year, he's likely going to get traded so they can get some draft pick compensation back for him. I don't think that they plan on keeping Kareem Hunt. We could be wrong on that, but that's kind of the both the way we thought that that was going to go. So we've never really been that worried about the Hunt news, but I just kind of want to get your guys' opinions on it real quick. Yeah, there's one thing that I learned long time ago in fantasy sports, and I learned it first in baseball. You can never have enough pitching. I've always believed in that, my you know 45 years of loving baseball. And I would say the same exact thing. In the NFL, you can never have enough talent in the backfield. It's a business decision, and if it doesn't work out, the Browns just cut them. But it also gives you a trade asset moving forward, and it's insurance in case you have an injury late in the season. To me, it made sense. Well, I love that you're a baseball fan, man. I'm always dropping some baseball analogies on here, and I feel like I'm I'm the only I'm the huge I'm a huge Indians fan. So uh, I was dropping spring training stuff earlier on accident when I was meaning to talk about uh, rookie camps and everything coming up at the the start of the NFL season. So interesting, you play fantasy baseball as well. I'm a huge fantasy baseball guy. Um, 31 years. We started the same 1989. We started the same football and baseball, fantasy, both sports. 
I love baseball. I'm, I'm addicted to it. Um, you know, I don't from I, I don't feel as much of an expert as football. I don't have the time to put in, yeah. but I read everything and I play. That's why you don't hear me say it too much. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, because I focus so much on football, I, I would imagine it's probably the same as you. We're focused so much on football that it's just you. I, I'm the same way. I read what I can here, and I'm, I pay attention. I watch Cleveland Indians baseball every single night when it's on. But you kind of get caught up in the football world, so it's kind of hard to see some of the, like a, the breakout prospects and everything that are coming up through the systems for baseball. Um, who's real quick before we move on to the the Miami Dolphins trade? Who's your favorite baseball team? I'm such an interesting, strange person at the same time. The Baltimore <laughs> Orioles. Okay. Um, I, I'll never forget Earl Weaver, Ken Singleton, Annie Murray, Cal Ripken. I grew up in the late 70s. When I, you know, my first baseball season is about 75. Uh-huh. And I'll never forget, you know, 76, 77. The Orioles had, were coming off a great string. I remember reading about that 69 to 71 team with Brooks and Frank Robinson rest his soul. Um, but I love the O still do, but we're, we're just, Oh, we're a hot garbage this year. Yeah. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you guys got a couple years, but I like I like your guys new coach. I think that they're moving in the right direction. So it'll be interesting to see if the Orioles uh, can return to glory here in the next couple of years. Yeah, I mean, it was a dream we got. I was thinking about this the other day. I'm sorry. But, like, we actually got to the American League Championship Series against Kansas City, and it was so fun. And I think that was three years ago, maybe four years ago. Uh And now we have to do a total rebuild of the entire organization. But I get it. We got to start over. Yeah, well, we'll stick on this baseball tangent for just one more second, guys. Uh, I'm right there with you. Cleveland Indians just a couple years ago get get to the World Series, got beat by the Chicago Cubs, which, you know, good for them, their 100-year curse and everything. But, yeah, I feel like the the Indians are heading that same direction now, too. They they keep trying to make these smaller moves to stay competitive, and I don't think it's it's working that well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do as well. But, yeah, it's fun to see your team succeed like that, and then it just sucks when you're like, ah, here we go, another rebuild. <laughs> Miami Dolphins trade Ryan Tannehill for Marcus, or not for Marcus Mariota, to the Tennessee Titans to what I would imagine be there to compete with Marcus Mariota. How do you, Ryan Tannehill, I don't think has much value left at this point for the fantasy football community. What does this do to Marcus Mariota's fantasy value, though? So I think you have to be, as an organization, you have to acquire talent. I think that's one of the most under look aspects of a NFL team. And I don't care how you acquire the talent, free agent, trade, NFL draft, um, undrafted free agents. It says at the end of the day, they believe that Tannehill is a better backup than what they've had in the past, which I agree with them. Look, at Tannehill is disappointed in Miami. There's no question about that. You know, Miami gave him enough time. I'm looking seven seasons. Yeah. So he had his opportunity. It did not work out. So I understand why Miami's moving on. I think it's saying that the Titans have some concerns about Mariota. Look, he has not lived up to the expectations as the second overall pick. Jameis Winston has played much better in the NFL than Marcus Mariota has. So I think you're saying, look, we're going to upgrade our roster. It doesn't really cost us anything. Injuries are always a concern. Mariota has not been able to stay on the field most of the time. So there is an opportunity, there is a chance that 
Tannehill is going to play in a game or start a few games. So I think it's wise, and it also pushes Mariota to have competition in training camp that, you know what, young man, you've got to play better or we're going to move on ourselves. So from my standpoint, I think it's a no-brainer from Tennessee's standpoint, but I'll tell you this, I'm not really interested in drafting Marcus Mariota at all, and I've been a fan, and I had a hope, you know, he was, to me, a great third quarterback in two quarterback leagues to acquire, um, but I'm not interested anymore. He just hasn't done it yet. I have to see it. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, Tannehill is definitely better than Blaine Gabbert and Charlie Whitehurst. <laughs> Without question. <laughs> so that that's you know it was a it's definitely a good football move for Tennessee, but I'm a little concerned that it might be telling us a little more about what's really going on with Mariota's ulnar nerve. So if he's oh. still having trouble with that, you know, it it just might be a, a situation where they they looked at it and said, uh, you know, we need to have a, a starter quality quarterback in here. You know, the, I, I chuckle sometimes when I w- watch some of these conversations, especially on Twitter about, oh, this player is terrible. Why are they playing them? Whether it's offensive line or, or quarterback, especially those two positions. And, and people often forget that, you know, there's only 32 left tackle positions available in the NFL, and there's probably <laughs> only six or seven people, maybe four or five, that are elite. And the quarterback position is the same way. You know, it, if if it was easy, everybody'd be doing it. So, <laughs> see guys like Eric Flowers continuing to get opportunities. It's like I, I look at it and I'm thinking, well, there's. 64 starting tackle positions and probably another 64. So that's what, 128? You know, I could see him being one of the best 128 offensive tackles in the country. So I think bringing uh, Tannehill in, I, I expect him. He's going to, I expect him to start some games this year, but uh, I'm certainly going to try to uh, avoid having Mariota or Tannehill on any of my teams. That's for sure. Yeah, I'd imagine this. Yeah, no, go ahead. I have a good question for both of you. Over under seven starts for Ryan Tannehill by the end of next season. Over under seven starts. I'm going to go under. I, I really don't think Tannehill's going to start as much. I, I think Mariota's going to be fine um, unless he struggles. I, I, he does struggle with the injury issues, obviously. But I, I don't. I feel like this is going to be a good year for Mariota. So I'm going to go under on Tannehill. I, I think I, I'm going to take the under as well, with the caveat that if. Uh, of the elbow injury, if if the elbow and and Tan, uh, Mariota still has trouble gripping the ball, because I I think uh, this year is going to be the year of Derrick Henry. Oh, so, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I they are going to you know Vrabel is going to pound that football. He is going to uh, I can see a, a three hundred carry season coming for Henry, maybe more. So I, I think that that's going to be the approach. And bringing in Humphreys in the slot, that's going to, you know, tighten stuff up to the line. Now you've got that guy that can get open, uh, you know, at, in five, eight yards consistently. So I, I, I think that that offense is going to be built around that short game and that defense. So un- unless 
unless Mariota suffers another injury or that injury pops up, I think it's, uh, I expect Mariota to get, to at least get one more year. If he can stay healthy, they're going to give him another year. John, what about you over or under on the seven games? I actually am going to take the contrarian. I think Ryan Tannehill somehow ends up over wow. with like 10 starts. Wow. I got to, you know, everyone thinks he's gone and he's going to be back. <laughs> All right, well, sticking with the Titans, just real quick, uh, Adam Humphreys obviously joined them this year, four years, $36 million. Um, Will you guys think he's going to move on the outside over Taylor, and do you think that this helps kind of relieve some of the pressure off of Corey Davis being just the guy there, literally the only guy there, and allows him to kind of turn into that budding star we've all been hoping for? Well, I would have to go back to what um, was just discussed. I think Derrick Henry is going to get 300 carries also, or at least close to it. I think Humphreys is a nice safety blanket. It helps Corey Davis a little bit. Um, but I don't see Humphreys getting more than 60 receptions for 600 yards in this Titans passing game. I think it's just going to be very limited in Tennessee what they're doing with the football down the field. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the, the other outside receiver, when they go into three wide receiver sets, is probably going to be Taewon Taylor. You know, he is, he's fast. He's got the speed to get down the field. I don't know that Humphrey has that speed. And so they'll work Humphrey in that short package with, with Davis and Taylor on the outside. Nick Foles, Jacksonville Jaguars, four years, $88 million. Did the Jaguars get a guy that you guys think is going to be able to help them get back to where they were just a couple years ago in the AFC Championship? And which wide receiver benefits the most from getting Nick Foles as their quarterback? I do think this was an underrated and impressive signing. I think Jacksonville needs a locker room guy. You have a young team that got overly confident. They believed the hype. They had reached the AFC Championship game. Obviously, Blake Bortles just completely fell off the map. I mean, he didn't take a step backwards. He took a leap backwards. I mean, he's not on the team anymore, so that tells you enough. But Nick Foles can walk into that locker room with the Super Bowl ring he has won games, you know, at the NFL level. I'm looking here. His quarterback record career-wise is 26 and 18. He has been successful in the postseason, winning the Super Bowl and all. I think this helps a guy like D.D. Westbrook, who can open, get open deep, because Nick Foles does. I like it. He will buy time and he chucks the football deep down the field. So I think this helps D.D. Westbrook. And what I think it does most is I think they'll be able to move the chains more effectively. They'll get first downs and they'll be able to have more opportunities for fantasy points. I mean, how many times did we see Jacksonville go one, two, three and punt? I mean, there was like entire quarters where the Jaguars couldn't even get the offense on track. So I think Nick Foles just helps this entire offense get moving. I'm looking at here. Last year, Nick Foles completed 72% of his passes. Career-wise, he's 61%. So I do think that Nick Foles helps everyone. And I do think he'll help Leonard Fournette because I think there'll be more opportunities in the red zone. Yeah, I'm on the D.D. Westbrook train myself. I think Foles is going to help the passing game immensely, which will in turn uh, help the running game 
last year, you, you mentioned Foles at seventy two percent last year. Bortles completed sixty percent. So uh, <laughs> terrible. A lot, a lot of those, a, a lot of those three and out quarters were literally run incomplete, incomplete, run, run incomplete, run incomplete, incomplete. Uh, just because Bortles couldn't make the connection. Now, the receiving core in Carolina is. Um, a bunch of no names at this point, you know, DD Westbrook, DJ Chark. So somebody's going to have to step up and whether it's them investing in one of the top guys this year or letting those guys continue to grow with a quarterback that's better. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big DD Westbrook fan. And I think that his game and, and DJ Chark's game are very complimentary. If they continue, if, if they bring Foles in and let him play, let that offense run through him, I, I agree. He's he's going to buy some time. He's and he's got the arm to get the ball downfield. So it should be an exciting year for the Jacksonville offense. I'll tell you one other thing. I think Jacksonville's going to go tight end in the first round. Oh, okay. I think T.J. Hawkinson is the perfect player. Now, I like Noah Fant better, yes. but Jackson Jacksonville wants to run the football. And TJ Hawkinson is more of your classic block. I mean, he is a mean-spirited, angry blocker. And they want to run the football with Leonard Fournette. Now, Hawkinson is a very good pass receiver. I don't think he's athletically as talented as Fant. So I like Fant better because I think the upside of Fant is astronomical because of the athletic ability. But Hawkinson, to me, is more of your classic NFL tight end who can dominate in the run game. And Jacksonville needs that, I believe, so much. And they're, they don't really even have a tight end on the depth chart. So I think Jacksonville is going to go tight end, and I don't think people are talking about it. But that would be the perfect player, and that would open up the passing game tremendously. So are, are they going to go tight end at seven, or do you think they're going to trade back? I think they'll try to trade back, but you got to be careful. I don't think you can get out of the top 12 or 15 because these two tight ends – are really dynamic players who I think teams are going to covet. So, yes, in an ideal world, they'll trade back, but they've got to be careful. They can't go too far unless they like both. But I think Hawkinson is a better player for the Jaguars roster and their offensive scheme. I would agree. And I, I real quick, I love your your talks there on on Fant and Hawkinson because I've been a huge fan guy this whole time, and everybody seems to be jumping on that Hawkinson bandwagon. Uh, I agree. Oh, with I, you guys. I love Fant, man. Oh, yeah, I'm right Woo! there with you. Uh, I, I I agree. I think this is really going to help out Leonard Fournette and Dee Westbrook is my guy as well. I think he's really going to benefit from from having Nick Foles there and a guy who can actually get him the ball. Um, since we're about to have to let uh, John go here, uh, guys, because I, I messed up on the on the timing here of our uh, our episode, I want to get your guys thoughts on, on the, the last big signing in my opinion before he goes uh Le'Veon Bell going to the Jets for four years 52.5 million how much pressure do you think he's going to take off Sam Darnold and much like Antonio Brown how far does this drop him down here guys ranks compared to what he was uh with Pittsburgh um I am ecstatic for um for my man Sam Darnold I think while everyone's going to be going after all the hot quarterbacks, 
I am going to scoop up as many Sam Darnold shares as I can possibly get. I think this is a perfect move for a young ascending franchise quarterback. If you go back to the film last year, and from the time the Jets benched Sam Darnold to the last four games of the season, I saw tremendous progress. The young man needed a mental timeout. I think we forget he was 20 years of age. He was exceptionally young, and he played very well. People are underestimating how good of a final month because they, the Jets fell off the radar. You know, they're not in the playoffs. People are looking towards other teams. I love this. You've got to get young quarterbacks a running game. And why do I like it more? It's because of the pass-catching ability. I do not think Bell will ever achieve. I mean, look at the last four years. 83-24, he only played six games in 2015. 75 and 85 receptions. I don't think he'll garner that many receptions and targets in New York. But I think there's a nice floor of 60 targets with the ceiling of 70. And that gives Darnold the check down but also a running back who can make something happen with the ball in his hands. It makes Robbie Anderson more effective. And Chris Herndon is now going to be a better tight end because you can attack the defenses vertically, horizontally, and in the short yardage, short area with Bell. So I really love Bell signing with the Jets I'm going to scoop up a ton of Sam Darnold because he's going to come exceedingly cheap. I love this move. Le'Veon Bell will not be the player he was in Pittsburgh. He was in a perfect offense. But I believe 1,600 to 1,700 yards from scrimmage and about 10 touchdowns is a perfect estimate for the numbers that you'll see with Bell in New York. I love you brought up my guy, Chris Herndon, there. I'm <laughs> oh, uh... he's... He's good. I, 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 I can definitely see Bell bringing those linebackers up towards the line. Herndon splitting the seam down the middle wide open. That, Love that's, it. I, I, I'm signing up for all of that. Plus, you have Anderson. Anderson is an excellent, excellent deep threat. I mean, you can run, you know, you put Anderson out wide. You run Herndon down the seam on the opposite side of the field, and you have Le'Veon Bell in the flat behind Anderson. Who are you going to stop? All you do is read the safeties, people. Where the safety goes, you go the other side. I love this. Yeah, I thought it was a home run move. A lot of people obviously talking about the Browns and the Odell trade, but I think the Jets uh, just early on have been kind of the winners of the offseason with the moves that they've been making on defense and on offense. Well, John, Thank you so much for joining me and Dennis today. It's been awesome having you on here. Love the energy and everything you've brought. It's been it's been amazing, outstanding. You are an esteemed member of this fantasy community, and we really appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and where else they can find anything else you do podcast and writing wise. Absolutely, I'm on on Twitter at GridironSkull91. When I signed up, I couldn't afford the A and the R. So it's Gridiron Skull 91. And hey, if you want, I'm doing an NFL draft profiles with my partner, Andy Singleton. And we've so far posted a seven minute analysis. 
and film clips of 25 draft prospects. We're going all the way up to 50, and those are available on YouTube and on Dynasty League Football for free. Give them a view, everyone. I, I hope you like them. Tell me what you think. And thanks, gentlemen, for having me on. I am so happy to have the opportunity to talk to you. Thanks, John. We really appreciate it. And I love the rookie scouting reports that you and Andy are doing. Oh, that means so much. I, I can't thank you enough. And guys, have a great day, everyone. Right on. Right on. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is 8-Bit Ray from the Gorilla Brain Podcast, part of the Pulse Podcast Network. Did you know that you could be using this spot to advertise your company or business? Well, I've done the research, and PodcastInsights.com report that podcast listeners are loyal, affluent, and mostly college-educated, but most importantly, are five times more likely to interact with the ad they hear on their favorite podcast than an ad from any other medium. If you would like to advertise your company or brand with our network, it's simple. All you have to do is send an email to marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com. I'll say it one more time marketing at pulsepodcastnetwork.com and we hope to hear from you soon we really appreciate having john on with us that was awesome gave a lot of insight unfortunately now you guys are just going to have to deal with me giving my insight uh with then i mean dennis obviously was doing a good job with john now i'll just kind of chime in here uh as we as john had to go but we do really appreciate him coming on that was a lot of great Awesome knowledge that he brings and someone that I look forward to hopefully bringing back on again because he just he knocked this episode out of the park so far. We're going to stick with the New York Jets, uh, obviously just talking about what happens, uh, or our thoughts on Le'Veon Bell coming over here. Now Jamison Crowder has come over as well. Uh, three years, $28.5 million. Looks to possibly be giving Sam Darnold a safety blanket in the passing game. Your thoughts on Jamison Crowder? I, I think it's a really nice fit for what the Jets, where the Jets are in, in uh, their quarterback growth. They need somebody to always be open. And I think if he's healthy, Crowder is that guy that's going to give Darnold that check down, uh, run those routes, those slants out of the slot, and be able to, to give him that safety blanket, uh, like you noted. So, you know, bringing him up short with Bell out in the flat, Anderson going down the field and Herndon in the seam. Uh, Darnold is going to have uh, quite the uh, options to choose from uh, so long as that offensive line keeps him upright. You know, he's a big kid with a strong arm. And so it should be the Jets should be fun to watch this year. And, and Crowder is going to give him a, a nice weapon. Uh, I don't know if he's going to garner the target share he did in Washington, uh, because I, I think they have some better receivers. And then with Le'Veon Bell uh, at running back, who's an extremely talented pass catcher, I think that cuts into Crowder's volume. But Crowder, Crowder should still have a really nice year there. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how this is going to work between him, Herndon, and Bell because I think all in the short area passing game is kind of where all three of those guys thrive. Now, I think obviously Bell coming out of the backfield, he's going to get his own work. And Chris Herndon, I agree with both of you as you were just touching on, I think he's going to take 
has a chance to take a huge leap forward here with Bell coming over. Uh, so that's why I think Jameson Crowder signing is really interesting because he is a very dynamic slot wide receiver. And he's a guy that can get open in the short area. He's got very good quick burst. Uh, so if he can stay healthy, he is someone that I could easily see jumping back up into like that low end wide receiver two tier, maybe high end wide receiver three. Uh, but I do, he's a, looks to be a great safety blanket for Sam Darnold. And again, I also think something that you and John just touched on a minute ago too, with all of those guys in the short area, and everybody trying to focus on them. I think that might even free up Robbie Anderson some more on the outside who has been kind of being undervalued as a serious deep threat here the past year or so kind of because they didn't really have a good year or he didn't have a great year really until the end of this past year. Yeah, and Anderson could be in for a break. He could have a legitimate breakout year this year. If he can find the consistency, it could be a big year to own Robbie Anderson. Yeah, like I said, just talk, talking about what he did last year, right at the end of last year when him and, seems like him and Sam Darnold really started clicking, dude, he was going off for, you know, 15-plus points and felt like every single week there up to the end. So if they can continue that moving forward into this year, I think Robbie Anderson could quickly jump up. And I don't want to say threaten wide receiver one territory, but I think he could firmly supplant himself in the top of the wide receiver two tier, so like that 14 to 20 range kind of area. And then that would be a huge jump for him and someone that you're not getting anywhere near if you're drafting right now he's someone who's falling into like that low end wide receiver two, uh high end wide receiver three uh tier when you're drafting so that could be a huge just huge get for you guys if you draft him now and i agree with both of you i think he has a chance for a real a real breakout season this year Mark Ingram is going to the Baltimore Ravens on a three-year, $15 million deal. Seems to be a great fit with him. Obviously, you still got Dixon there. Gus Edwards hurts a lot of people like myself who owned Gus Edwards, hoping that he was going to be the guy moving forward. Uh, but I do think Mark Ingram is a great fit here. Your thoughts on him and kind of how they're going to maneuver this uh, three-headed monster now in the backfield? Well, I think Mark Ingram is the best parts of Gus Edwards and Kenneth Kenneth Dixon combined into one running back. You know, he's got good size. He's a powerful runner. He's a really good pass catcher. So it, I expect him to get 65% of all running back touches and targets. I think he's going to cut into Dixon, and he's going to definitely uh, push Edwards to a backup role. Yeah, Ed, Edwards, I think, was sort of in that unenviable position of, I can only really do one thing. You know, Edwards can't catch the ball. He's Jordan Howardian in his ability to catch the ball. And so he's going to end up being the, the he, he's going to be the straight backup to Ingram on running plays. But if Jackson doesn't uh, develop in the pass game and they stay run heavy like they were, Ingram could have just a phenomenal year if that line uh, opens up the holes and, uh, they, they provide him with th that opportunity. He, he could get his really first legitimate 300 carry year. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It's going to be really interesting to see just cause I know the, Oh, the moniker kind of on Ingram is that uh, Sean Payton didn't like him is what it felt like at times because he would just kind of pull him out, especially even before they had uh, Alvin Kamara. It seemed like they would pull him when they would need him. They'd have in there guys like Traveris Cadet and players like that that just were not obviously up to Mark Ingram's level. 
I think this is a great spot for him. I really do think that they are going to use him like the work down back, or the full workhorse back that he wants to be. He has never had 300 carries in your in his career. Uh, the most he's had is 230, I believe, which was back in 2017, uh, and then 2014 he had 226. So you're looking at right there exactly what you were talking about. This, if they can actually get him that. He's going to, I think, jump up into that RB1 territory. He's a guy who's flirted with it multiple times. He's been there a couple times because of what you were just touching on. He He's the perfect mix of both of those guys. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. He's obviously a very good runner. I think he's kind of an underrated runner. Um, so I think he's going to be there. You're right. Uh, he's going to completely knock Edwards out. I almost kind of want to say he's not. I don't think Dixon is going to get that much work behind him either. I think both of those guys are going to be moved as to very much complementary roles. And this is going to be the Mark Ingram show moving forward in Baltimore and what I think is really going to be interesting is he is someone that I think is going that could help out Lamar Jackson uh, when it comes out to these option runs and everything he's a very viable back someone that Lamar Jackson can pitch it to uh, and doesn't have to take those unnecessary hits in the running game he can pitch it to Mark Ingram and allow him to take the hits and do all the dirty work Uh, I agree you you know Baltimore um a few years ago took another 27 28 29 year old running back. Now, he hadn't really done anything at the level that Ingram has, but they they made Justin Forsett, you know, a high RB2, low RB1 for uh, uh, two or three seasons at at the end of his quote-unquote lifespan for a running back. Yeah. So this could be, you know, Ingram's got 1,300 carries over his career, which isn't a lot. Uh, for somebody who's been in the league for eight years. So he's coming into his 28, 29-year-old season here uh, with relatively fresh legs. And so getting six or 700 carries over the next couple years, or six or 700 touches, because he does have, uh, uh, he did catch 58 passes in 2017. So he can catch the ball pretty well. Yeah. Uh, it, it's shaping up for Mark Ingram to really have a nice uh, l- little end of his career here. Yeah, and that uh, uh, Justin Forsett comparison was perfect. I remember that was back in the 2013 to 2014 seasons, he was killing it. I had him on a couple dynasty rosters back then, and I remember getting him in those uh, kind of free agent rookie draft deals because not a lot of people had had him or picking him up. I think it was actually mid or late 2012 or something like that when he really started doing something. Uh, looked really good for Baltimore and then came on really good 13-14. and 14. Uh, And I, I agree. I think Mark Ingram would easily do that. And I, I don't want to disparage Justin Forsett at all by saying this, but I think Mark Ingram is a better back than Justin Forsett was. So I don't think there will be any issue him coming in. I know a lot of people are worried about his age, but as you've just touched on and I've kind of mentioned, he wasn't used as a full workhorse in New Orleans, so I still think he's got a lot of life left in those legs. Uh, like I think we both agree this is a great move for Baltimore, um, and I think he's someone that could be a workhorse back for them, someone that's going to be a very interesting for fantasy moving forward. Going down to the New Orleans Saints, Latavius Murray replaces Mark Ingram's role down there, signing a four-year, $14 million deal. Uh, steps in, uh, I think uh, we b- we'll both agree with this, the perfect situation and skill set uh, to, com- to complement Kamara. He literally comes in as, I think, going to do exactly what Mark Ingram was doing, minus the catching part. Uh, I think he's more going to be, at least in my opinion, a-, a red zone threat. I don't think he's going to do a lot of rushing work. I do think that they're going to lean a little heavier on Alvin Kamara for that, but I could see 
see him being kind of that bulldozer down there by the end zone to run people over and get into there for touchdowns. Your thoughts on Latavius Murray to the New Orleans Saints? I I think it's a great fit, uh, in part because Murray is not going to want to go in and, well, I take that back. He wants to be the guy, but he knows uh, when he looks at Alvin Kamara that he's not going to be the guy. He can look at what Mark Ingram did and know, I'm going to have a very specific role, and I'm going to be good for 175 to 200 carries. At this stage of his career, he's going to make $14 million to over the next four years. And all he has to do is get first downs and touchdowns and give some breaks to Alvin Kamara. Yeah, I, I think it it's probably one of the best fits in uh, all of free agency. Uh, I think it's the perfect guy on the perfect team in the perfect role. Yep, and I agree with you 100%. Obviously, I think it's going to be... I don't think he's going to do much for fantasy. I I imagine that that's kind of this... I don't want to say it's going to kill his fantasy value, but I do think... uh, Do you agree that he's probably going to be more of that uh, the red zone touchdown guy than anything else? Oh, most definitely. He's going to be, you know, a bye week guy, uh, a deep league guy. You know, we play in some leagues that have... Start three running backs and two or three flexes. So he's going to be in play there. Um, if you're playing in a more traditional league, that's you know the, the two running back, three wide receiver, one flex. You know he's he's looking at a, a he's going to be an end of the roster bye week guy there. But he's definitely going to have those games where he pops off a couple runs. He's got some decent speed, and so if he pops off a couple twenty five yarders and gets a couple touchdowns. Here and there in a game, it, it could, you know, he could definitely have some games where uh, he, he gets you 15, 18 points. Yeah. For the most part, I'd probably expect uh, an eight point game out of him. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I said, and, and, and I, I think he's going to be a great uh, handcuff for Alvin Kamara as well. I do think if anything were to happen to Alvin Kamara, just based on what we've seen from Latavius Murray the past couple years in Minnesota, I think he would fit perfectly fine in that offense and be able to kind of run for a couple games here and there, a couple series if there were anything to happen to Kamara. So, again, I agree with you. It's a it's a great signing for New Orleans. This, I think, has worked out great for them. It's not anything that's going to challenge Kamara and allows him to kind of come in. He knows his role, and he's very good at the role that they want him to play. Uh, so I think it's going to be very interesting to see, at least NFL-wise, uh, how well it's going to go. And then fantasy-wise, we've already touched on on touchdown uh he's going to be touchdown upside everything like that before uh not really anything fantasy relevant rushing wise but if you're in a deep league or if you need him to back up kamara definitely worth grabbing we're going to stick with the last there's two more running backs that have made some moves this uh this past week we'll talk about both of those guys now tevin coleman I don't know why I was going to call him Tevin Bowman. My goodness. Tevin Coleman goes to San Francisco for two years, $8.6 million. I don't even know what to say. Three running backs that, in my opinion, all kind of do the same thing. And Matt Breida, Jarek McKinnon, and Tevin Coleman. What what sense do you make out of this backfield in San Francisco? I mean, Jeffrey Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert kind of do the same thing as well. Yeah, so it's now... That. Yeah, you know, they they've they've cloned a bunch of guys, and now they all started. Now they're all running backs for the San Francisco Forty ers 
Um, I don't know. I, I, I felt like Coleman going into last year, he was the darling. Everybody thought he was going to have this good season and be the free agent target for everybody this off season. But it, Two years and eight point six million dollars or eight point five million dollars. Yeah, that that's not a, a great contract. That doesn't say to me we're bringing you in to be the guy. Yeah. Um. You know, it's not like Ingram, who's twenty nine years old and coming in for four or five mil a year. This is Tevin Coleman, who's twenty five. So it, it's interesting. I I certainly expect either through the through the draft or after the draft somebody to be traded or cut, whether that's uh, McKinnon or Breda. You know, Breda doesn't have the stature to be that workhorse guy. I think he showed last year. He was he, he didn't miss any games, but he was, after the first couple games, he was dinged up pretty much every game. Yeah. Um, you know, Wilson, I think, is probably a replacement level, Mostert's replacement level. Um, Shanahan's offense probably made them look better than they were. Are are they committed to McKinnon? I don't know. They're they're going to be. I, I think that the 49ers will get the best return for e- either McKinnon or Breda. But it, it's right now. It's just it's too crowded there. You don't know what's going to happen. And it, I, I've seen t- some things where, and whether it's true or not, I don't know. Uh, on Twitter, I saw they said, well, uh, Kyle Shanahan said that Tevin Coleman was ideally suited to play the Tevin Coleman role. So, <laughs> I mean, that would be surprising. I, I, think, I, I think Coleman was looking forward to playing the Devonta Freeman role. So we'll, we'll kind of have to see how things shake out in San Francisco. I think if you're drafting running backs out there or picking up running backs out there, uh, it's kind of like Seattle. You want to try to get as many of them as you can just because you don't know which one is really going to be the top dog there. Right. So with Tevin Coleman, I'm, I honestly, I'm right there with you. I'm not sure what exactly is going to happen here. I mean, his his best year rushing-wise was last year, and a lot of that you would say is because Devonta Freeman was out pretty much the entire year with 800 yards rushing. Uh, he had, I believe, it was 32 receptions for 276 yards, had five touchdowns. So this past year was by far his best year, but he's never shown that he can be the true workhorse back. He's never had more than 167 carries. Uh, he's done a really good job catching the ball out of the backfield with 31 receptions, 27 receptions, and 32 over the past couple years. Uh, one of those years, obviously, being with Kyle Shanahan. So Kyle Shanahan knows him. He's He was kind of, I believe, the guy who really put Tevin Coleman on the map with the way that he kind of used him and Devonta Freeman in Atlanta before moving on. So I'm excited about him coming here just based on that because I do think that Tevin, uh, Tevin Coleman and Kyle Shanahan will be able to work out some way for him to be fantasy relevant. We've seen Kyle Shanahan make multiple running backs relevant throughout his time at different teams. I just don't know who those guys are going to be. I would assume it'd be Tevin Coleman because he signed that contract here most recently with them. But you can't, in my opinion, say for sure until we see this roster get cut down a little bit like you were saying. Um, for me, I think Jeffrey Wilson Jr. and Raheem Mostert kind of float to the back, and it's going to be between those three, uh, McKinnon, Brita, and Coleman. And if one of them does get cut or traded like you were talking about, I think it'll kind of clear up the picture a little bit and just between, be between those two guys. Uh, but I'm, I'm right there with you. I'm not that 
excited about this signing as someone who thought Tevin Coleman might be the guy if, if you traded for him. I actually uh, told people, hey, trade for him this offseason because if he has a good year, he's going to go somewhere and be, get a chance to be the workhorse back. And then we just didn't see that. He, he's gone somewhere where it looks like he's going to go right back into a timeshare. Yeah, I'm to, to expect that he was going to go to Shanahan and then become this dominant back seems really counterintuitive because Shanahan hasn't really ever given one guy all the workload. So I, I think we got out of this whole ordeal what we were always going to get, which was Coleman's going to go to San Francisco and he's going to be in a timeshare. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't mean that I thought he was going to go to, to, to San Francisco and be the workhorse back. I just thought he'd go somewhere else. I didn't think uh, – I, I like the pairing with him and Shanahan, though. I do think that, like I said, he they've shown that they work well together. Again, it was only one year in Atlanta, but we've seen from Kyle Shanahan the, the way that he's able to make multiple running backs uh, viable for fantasy. And that's all I'm kind of focusing on. That's all we're focusing on right now. So I do think that – him going there, he'll be viable. I just don't think he's going to be what a lot of people, including myself, were hoping, and that was going somewhere where he could have been the the workhorse back and been the guy, at least given the shot, because we've never seen him really get that full shot. There's always been somebody else there with him, kind of stealing carries or receptions away from him. You know, a lot of people thought when Freeman went down earlier this season, he would get the shot, and then here comes Ito Smith. And, and you know, in all honesty, Ito Smith looked better than him at times, so maybe that's why Tevin Coleman's not getting what we all thought he might prior to this season. The last running back we have here is Carlos Hyde, going to Kansas City for one year, $2.8 million dollars. I feel if you're a Damian Williams owner, this is a great move for you. You should be excited. Carlos Hyde, I don't think, is really going to threaten Damian Williams for anything. Um, so right now, I would feel like you've got a, a high upside running back that you likely picked up off the waiver wire last year when the Kareem Hunt news broke, unless you just had him rostered uh, because you're smart and you, and you wanted to back him up with, every, with all the running backs they had there with him and Spencer Ware. But again, I think it's a great move for for Damian Williams' owners because I don't think Hyde threatens them that much. However, you do need to wait and see if they draft anybody because I would be a little bit worried about that. But your thoughts on Carlos Hyde to Kansas City? I wouldn't be surprised at all if Carlos Hyde comes out of the preseason as the starter. Really? Okay. He he's Hyde is a solid, if unspectacular, back. He's not going to make mistakes. He's a powerful runner, and. While he sometimes can be inefficient, uh, he's he's a he's a tough guy running back, and I think that uh, Williams. I don't know if he's necessarily shown he can carry the full load, and I don't know if he can hold up to the pressure of another running back uh, pushing him. So it'll be interesting to see. I definitely think it's Williams' job to lose. Mm-hmm. But if he lost it, uh, I certainly wouldn't be surprised. Gotcha. That's that is very interesting. I did not. Uh, I didn't. I didn't see that going that way at all. Uh, for me, I just. I love Carlos Hyde. Uh, I'm someone who's owned him. You know, even when he suffered the injuries those first couple years in San Francisco, and everybody thought he was a bust, and then he turned it around, had a really great year. Kyle Shanahan again went out there. It seems like Kyle Shanahan is the running back guru here. Uh, goes out there and turns Carlos Hyde again back into that. Uh, that. 
you know, just legitimate running back threat we all thought he was going to be coming out of Ohio State. Um, and I even loved him coming to the Browns last year. I was excited. I was ecstatic about him coming out there. And I don't think he was quite as bad as a lot of people want to make him out to be there. Uh, it just didn't work out. It felt like there was, I mean, I, we can't even say it felt like. We know there was tension between everybody going on, everything going on there in Cleveland with Hugh, Todd Haley, John Dorsey. Dorsey wanted Chubb to play. They wanted to play Carlos Hyde. And for me, I think that speaks volumes about how good Carlos Hyde really looked in practice and everything. Uh, Because if he didn't look that good, I don't think Hugh and Todd Haley would have wanted to keep playing him. So I agree with you on the fact that him going to Kansas City, um, I would be surprised if he took the starting role, but I wouldn't be surprised if he got more of a workload. But I do think it's a great move Williams-wise because they would have brought in, obviously, someone like Le'Veon Bell, Tevin Coleman, I think that would have really hurt Williams' value, in my opinion. So Carlos Hyde coming in here, especially on a one-year deal, you know, I just don't expect, even if Carlos Hyde takes the job and runs with it this year, you know that Williams is kind of nothing. He only, I believe, only signed a two-year deal earlier this uh, offseason, the extension. So I don't think either one of these guys is the long-term answer for him, but I, I like Williams a little bit more than Hyde, at least for the next couple years. I mean, Hyde caught 59 passes in 2017. Yeah. So it's it's not like he's he can't play all three downs. So it, it's going to be interesting. I just definitely, I, I, like I said, I, I think they want Williams to be the guy. Right. But Hyde's certainly going to push him. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. I don't think it's going to, maybe I worded wrong. I don't think it's going to be something where it's like Williams gets 90% and Hyde gets 10%. And I agree with you. Like I just said, I think Hyde's a phenomenal back. Uh, I, I could see them pushing. I just think it's William, for me, this signing I guess the easiest way to put it, this signing, I think, helped Williams more than it hurt him based on who else they could have brought in. I think the fact that they brought in Hyde, to me, especially on a one-year deal, says, hey, like you were just saying, Williams, this is your job to lose. We're giving you the ball. It's your ball. you got to take it and run with it now because if you don't, we brought in this guy who could who could take your spot, I guess is the best way to put it. All right, moving on to some of the wide receivers. We'll start with the one uh, – we'll start with the two that I think are not that big a deal in my opinion – Tyra, my goodness, Tyrell Williams. We talked about Tyrell Williams. Devin Funches to Indianapolis on a one-year $13 million deal. Anybody who knows or listens to this podcast knows me, knows that I'm not a big fan of Devin Funches. I think he is just a tight end trying to play wide receiver. Um, I don't think this really hurts anybody. Maybe Eric Ebron a little bit in the touchdown department, but I would think, in all honesty, Jack Doyle coming back and being healthy hurts Eric Ebron more than Devin Funches. Um, I think this might be able to help out T.Y. Hilton a little bit just because they can't focus completely on him. Uh, I'm, you know, not big fan of Ryan Grant. Uh, I don't even remember some of the other wide receivers they had. Zach Pascal. Um, uh, my goodness, I can't even remember. Was it Dontrell Edmond? Was he there last year based on all the injuries yeah. they had? Yeah, they – Yeah, they – so I think fun just being there helps T.Y. Hilton a little bit. Um, but I don't see him getting much fantasy value out of this move, uh, Funches-wise at least, coming over to Indy. I don't think it hurts anybody really, Ebron or T.Y. Hilton. Your thoughts on Funches and Indy? Well, I definitely think Funches is the second-best wide receiver on Indy right now. <laughs> um, what that means for Funches, I, you, you know, he's he's still going to be who he is, which is an average route runner with mediocre hands. Uh, an okay speed for somebody that's, you know, 6'3 and 230 pounds. So is that going to help? We, we all kind of shook our heads when Indianapolis signed Eric Ebron, especially us Lions fans, because we watched Ebron drop passes for four years. 
So we've watched Funches down in uh, Carolina drop passes for four years now, and Andrew Luck made Eric Ebron one of the top tight ends to own. So maybe yeah. he does that with Funches as well. Uh, I definitely think it's still the Tyrell Williams show, or not Tyrell, the T.Y. Hilton show. Uh, you got me with that Tyrell talk. I there. know, man. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> we we just got Tyrell on the brain now, it seems. <laughs> it, it, it's definitely the, the T.Y. Hilton show. And, and I think Marlon Mack is really going to solidify that running game. So that puts whoever's the second wide receiver is going to probably be third, maybe fourth in targets behind Hilton, Ebron, and possibly even Naheem Hines. Yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I said, and I didn't even really think about that Andrew Luck part. That's a that's a good uh, good call on your part, especially with what he did with Eric Ebron. A lot of people thinking Ebron's career, I wouldn't say was done, but uh, he looked. We kind of thought we knew what he was, and then he had a breakout season this year with Andrew Luck. I know a lot of people think that he's going to kind of regress back to the means here this next season. Like I said, I think Jack Doyle poses more of a threat to him than Devin Funches. It'll be interesting to see what Funches can do with Andrew Luck. Um, he It is by far the best quarterback he's ever played with. Um, as you touched on, Cam Newton and his inaccuracies. Now you got Andrew Luck throwing you the ball. So maybe, maybe this is his resurgent year, and he's able to go sign somewhere else and kind of slowly turn into the guy that uh, everybody thought he might be a few years ago when he came out in the draft. I'm just not that high on it. I think, as you touched on, it's going to be the T.Y. Hilton show. Devin Funches, I think, at this point, kind of more of a red zone threat than anything else. Dante Moncrief to the Pittsburgh Steelers for two years. And this guy, I'm just going to be honest with you, he, he's right there with uh, Devin Funches for me. I don't have any expectations for him in Pittsburgh. I think it's a great place for him to go, I guess would be the way to put it, especially with explosive as Pittsburgh's offense can be. Um, but I would take Juju and uh, James Washington over him in a heartbeat. So I don't think he does much here. Uh, I think it's a good depth signing for them is obviously losing Antonio Brown. Uh, they don't have a whole lot of wide receivers behind behind uh, Juju and Washington. I know they've got Ryan Switzer, uh, but not a lot of like veteran, talented wide receivers. So I think Dante Moncrief comes in more as a depth guy than anything else. I don't think this does much for his fantasy value. Your thoughts on Moncrief? I, I think a lot, I think Moncrief's success is going to depend on Washington's development. Now, Washington did struggle a little bit catching the ball, but going into this season, Washington is going to be the clear number two and Switzer is the slot guy. So, Bringing Moncrief in is going to, you know, he squandered his opportunity in Jacksonville. Um, Part of that, you know, can be attributed to Blake Bortles, but a good portion of it is also on Dante Moncrief. I I don't know that he's going to, he's not going to be the fantasy relevant guy um, I want there. Pittsburgh has shown that they can support two wide receivers in fantasy. But I don't think uh, Washington, or uh, excuse me, I don't think if if Moncrief passes Washington on the depth chart, I don't think it's going to be quite the same as if Washington grows uh, into that wide receiver two role in Pittsburgh. I think Washington is the guy they want to have that job. They're going to give him every opportunity for it. And right now I see Moncrief as the wide receiver four, uh, just above Darius Hayward Bay and behind Ryan Switzer. Yeah, 
Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm obviously right there with you. There's really not much else there to add. Uh, I would be I would be surprised if he really kind of burst onto the scene and takes over James Washington. Uh, like you know, we saw some flashes out of James Washington last year. Loved him coming out of uh, out of Oklahoma. There, I just I don't see it. That's just my opinion. I, I know a lot of people are very high on Dante Moncrief, but I'm just not that big a fan of his. I, I don't see him coming and doing much here in Pittsburgh. Great depth signing, nothing other than that for me. The big signing, obviously, which you know I'm just going to be honest here, made no sense to me when I saw it, um, at least NFL-wise, when you trade away Odell Beckham and then you bring in Golden Tate for four years, $37.5 million. I believe he was guaranteed something like $23 or $24 million which is ridiculous. I'll, I'll get your opinions first on Golden Tate here. I know I am a big fan of Golden Tate as a person uh, and a player. I thought he's been extre- he was extremely underrated most of his career. When he was with Detroit, you could always count on him to get you 90 to 100-plus catches, somewhere around 1,000 yards receiving and close to 9 or 10 touchdowns every single year. He was very consistent. Obviously, last year didn't have that good a year. Getting traded to Philadelphia, though, I think was a uh, – it hurt him just based on you can't – it's not basketball. You can't just take a wide receiver and put him in another offense and expect him to thrive like you can in basketball. You're kind of all playing the same position, same game there. Going to a new offense, you've got new wording, new play calls, everything. you got to find your fit in the offense. He's traded right at the deadline. I don't think he got a chance to really get integrated in that offense. Then you talk about Carson Wentz getting hurt. Nick Foles coming in. You're trying to get chemistry with another quarterback. So – I can't take what happened last year as an indictment on Golden Tate. I think that was the outlier compared to what the rest of his career has looked like. So your thoughts on him coming to New York, do you think he's going to pop back up and be that wide receiver too? You know, it's him and Sterling Shepard have been so similar in their play for the past few years. I, I saw something where I guess over the past three years or something like that between Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard, they've caught a combined one touchdown that didn't come out of the slot position. Wow. So it's, I wish I could remember who to attribute that to as well, but uh, my apologies for not remembering. Um, so it, it doesn't, I, I, I know Tate started out in Seattle on the outside and then he, he moved into the inside. So maybe there's some thought that they're going to try to move him outside. Maybe they're going to try to move Shepard to the outside. But it doesn't seem like a scheme fit or a roster fit. It seems like, uh, well, we have to do something because we just traded away Odell. And, and, and it almost feels like that Gettleman looked at the statistics and thought, oh, well, we can bring this guy in who's put up numbers and nobody will, you know, people won't, people will recognize that we got good return for Odell and we replaced him with a cheaper guy that's going to put up great numbers. You put you brought in a guy that does the same thing as somebody you already have that can put up good numbers, and you've weakened yourself substantially at the outside position. I mean, is Corey Coleman now the, the wide receiver one there? Is he the one that's going to be there dominating the outside? <laughs> I mean, it could happen, I suppose, but uh, it's not something I'm counting on. So it, it's it's tough from a fit perspective. He's definitely the best wide receiver on that team now. But how it how it works from a wide receiver room and wide receivers lining up on the field perspective is still kind of puzzling to me. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think um, a lot of people were kind of 
obviously excited if you were a Shepard owner when Odell got traded because you were looking at it as like, all right, here we go. Sterling Shepard finally may get the chance to be the guy. We've seen him obviously take a uh, step up at times and then falter at times when Odell was out. Uh, but this obviously the, the offense coming and being focused around Barkley and Shepard Ingram. And I'm right there with you. It's a confusing fit to me. I don't know if Shepard can thrive on the outside. We've seen him play out there and been, be decent. I mean, he's not a horrible wide receiver. I do want to apologize real quick. I'm sorry. I said James Washington came from Oklahoma. He comes from Oklahoma State. Uh, Sterling Shepard came from Oklahoma. Uh, and I do think that uh, Shepard has a chance to be decent here. I, I do think Golden Tate's going to end up staying in the slot, and it's going to push Shepard to the outside. And that's kind of where I'm, I'm worried about Shepard a little bit, obviously being out there. Golden Tate, I, I think he'll be all right. I think it was not a bad move by Gettleman based on what we saw from Eli last year. You know, the running joke was, well, you know, when, when Odell got traded, everybody was making a joke about the fact that the Giants just traded away their best quarterback because Odell made more, had more deep passing touchdowns last year than Eli Manning did. I think that's kind of where Eli is starting to struggle in the deep passing game. So if you bring in a guy as like Golden Tate, who is that dynamic in the short area, really good slot wide receiver, as you, you were just touching on, I think that actually might help out Eli Manning. I don't think it kills Golden Tate's value that much because we've seen when Eli Manning forces the balls to player Odell last year at times, Evan Ingram the year before that when Evan Ingram was all he had, they became fantasy-relevant players. I don't think that Golden Tate is going to continue to be at the level that he was, though, kind of that high-class wide receiver two at worst middle tier. I think he's possibly going to fall out of that wide receiver two category, possibly sit right there at the top of the wide receiver three group. Uh, but I don't think it kills his value completely. I think that in in the end, it could end up being a good fit for him just based on who his quarterback is at the moment. Now, we don't know if how much longer Eli will stay there, but for the moment, I think it could be a good fit for Tate. I think it hurts Shepard more than anybody else, and I think it actually might help out Evan Ingram a little bit. Yeah, I think Ingram might actually get some snaps on the outside now. I wouldn't be surprised. And I know, uh, go ahead, sorry. Red Ellison in, put Red Ellison in up on the line, move Ingram on the outside with uh, Tate in the slot and uh, Shepard on the other side, so. Yeah, and, and another thing of bringing Tate in is I think it helps Saquon Barkley out a lot as well because not everybody can just focus solely on Saquon Barkley like it looked like they were going to have to. Or not that they were going to have to. That's all they had to worry about once Odell got traded. All right, well, that is going to do it for us, guys. Thank you so much again. Thank you, John Love, for coming on and, and joining us. He was awesome. Uh, Dennis, again, thank you so much for hooking that up. I know you were the one who got him to come on here and talk with us. Uh, I thought he killed it that first hour with us and, and it was awesome and it was fun to sit here and wrap up the last four or five guys here with you on today's episode we will be back next week to talk about the AFC South we're bringing on another special guest to talk about the AFC South with us uh, excited about that as well and then we've only got three more divisions no two more divisions after that and then we can really start jumping into 2019 I know we've already started talking uh, to a couple people we're gonna start doing a lot of mock drafts and getting stuff ready for the 2019 season which I am truly excited about because it's gonna be a lot of fun uh, digging more and more into this draft class so uh, Dennis obviously, Tell us again where we can always where we can find you, what articles you are working on, and what's coming out soon for us to check out for you. Well, I am on Twitter at culture underscore coach. Uh, I'm working on some articles about the best landing spots for the top rookies. Should be coming out on Dynasty Nerds. I just 
been busy and haven't been able to get them completed, but they'll be out before the draft. Uh, you know, having fun interacting with people on Twitter, working on this illustrious podcast with you, and uh, you know, just trying to keep uh, putting out good good content. Yeah, uh, hey, we're, I'm right there with you, and I think uh, obviously you've been doing a great job on Twitter, and I'm excited to get this episode up. Like I said, I think you and you and John killed it that first hour. It was a lot of good talk and uh, a lot of great advice, a lot of great breaking down some of these free agents. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody else. Uh, not a lot of big names left out there, obviously, but it'll be interesting to see who else kind of goes anywhere. And if we do see any more trades, I know you were talking earlier, Derek Carr possibly to Miami would be a good fit. Really interesting if that happened. I will make sure to clip that. And throw it up all over Twitter Twitter, so you can get the credit for that because I haven't seen that anywhere else. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see what else happens this offseason. Uh, can't wait to jump back up on the podcast with you next week and talk about the AFC South. Have a good weekend, buddy. Right on, you too. Prepare for glory! I don't know if you got